Hey Amarillo, this is Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. The presenting sponsor for this episode is ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that make it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work and set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. So today's guest is Dusty Green. I don't know if you remember Dusty, but he spent 14 years here in Amarillo uh, working for Channel 7, Pro News, KVII. Um, He started as assistant producer. He went all the way up to news anchor, spent several years there, was news director. He, He spent 14 years bringing the news to Amarillo. Um, on a nightly basis until 2007 when Dusty and his wife Nikki quit their jobs. They sold everything they had and they took off. They started traveling all over the world. Uh, They spent a little bit of time in Austin, Texas. Um, But what they did is they started their own uh, video production company and began using that to produce an online web series about travel and then eventually that got turned into a tv series a travel adventure series that just had its first season on pbs uh, is about to uh, feature its second season starting next month and so i wanted to catch up with dusty and talk about the entire process of building a career quitting that career traveling the world and then turning that to another career so here's dusty green Okay, Dusty Green, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thank you so much, man. It is so cool to be here. I've been listening to the to the show, and uh, it's it's uh, an honor to be among the the guests that you've had so far, man. Well, uh, I I appreciate that. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you. I have sort of been chasing you career wise a couple of years behind you. We were at Amarillo College almost around the same time. Uh-huh. Worked on the newspaper within a couple of years of each other. Mike Haynes was. Uh, was my teacher there, the, and, and he was always talking about Dusty Green to the point that we were like, Mike, you got to move on. You're never going to have another Dusty Green. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, that's so great. you were our punchline, and we, we hated you a little bit. <laughs> I understand. Uh, I understand. But uh, I, I want to talk about your show, of course. Um, but before that, let's, let's talk about uh, your career in Amarillo, kind of how you ended up here, how you built uh, your career doing the news and all that stuff, and then we'll get to uh, to what you're doing now. Yeah, okay. Where did you grow up around here, and how did you end up in I grew Amarillo? grew up in Borger, um, um, born and raised, graduated from Borger High School, 1991, go Bulldogs. Um, and then like a lot of kids in this area, you know, when you graduate high school, you migrate to the big city, um, which is and always has been Amarillo, I guess, and uh, went to Amarillo College. And uh, just had, you know, I took to it like a duck takes to water. And, and I agreed with the place and it agreed just like I'm sure it did with you. It was just a good fit. And so I uh, was the editor of the, the Ranger mm-hmm. um, there my second semester. And uh, you mentioned Mike Haynes. I, you know, God bless him. I love him. He's done so much for me personally and professionally. And Dr. Paul Matney and uh, Nancy Crowley back yeah. in the day, sweet Nancy and Danita McAnally, that whole gang. Up to that point, you know, in high school, I'd always been in print. I was the editor of the high school newspaper and that sort of thing, uh, and never really got into doing video or TV, with the exception of, you know, growing up, my dad, he started the first video rental store in Borger. Wow. And as a part of that, he would get, you know, this old VHS equipment every now and then, and so he would bring a camera home, and I would fiddle with it and, you know, make little films around town and around school and that sort of thing. 
Um, this was the early '90s. This was, late '80s. With this like was the big, early '80s, actually. Okay, camcorders, is, yes. and yeah. the big shoulder-mounted, right. huge VHS, VHS Panasonic camcorders. Uh, but I carried that thing with me a lot, and I'm sure I irritated a lot, just like I do today with the cameras that I carry around. But that was the extent of my video production experience. I mean, even going through high school and college, I didn't do much in terms of legitimate, quote unquote, video production. So it was a great surprise to me when I was editing the newspaper at AC, my second semester, um, when Mike and, and Paul Matney came to me and they said, well, we've recommended you for this entry-level job over at Channel 7. And I'm like, well, I've never been to a TV station before in my life. Um, but they said, we, we think you'd be pretty good at it. We think you can handle it. And um, yeah, so I, I'll never forget, man. I, I walked into Channel 7 for the first time. I was 19 years old at that time. And sat down with the news director, Steve Pritchett, and I was just terrified. Just terrified. It was really my first bona fide job interview ever because I'd always worked for my dad growing up in Borger. Um, and so I put on, you know, my best face and my best tie as a 19-year-old college student. And I remember Steve asking me, he said, well, give me one good reason why I should hire you. And I thought about it for a second. I said, I can't. <laughs> You're going to have to ask Paul Matney. He's right, right. Ask the people who recommended me for this. I said, but having said that, I, 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 I'm really interested about what you do here. Um, I work hard. I love journalism. I love storytelling. And I, I want to learn. And that was very sincere. I mean, I walked into the TV station. I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. And so they hired me. And I spent the first year and a half, two years at Channel 7 as the low man on the totem pole, right? Uh, ripping scripts for the anchors and taking out the trash and getting coffee and doing all those things that the grunt is supposed to do. But on the weekends, um, I would come in on my own. Uh, my own time, free time, didn't get paid. And I would learn how to use the cameras. Hmm. And I would learn how to edit. And um, the people at the station at the time were so great. I mean, you know, being a reporter producer in a small market like Amarillo, you're being pulled in a thousand different directions every day. They made the time for me, because they knew I was just so interested in it, I guess, um, to teach me how to edit and teach me how to, how to shoot with the, the, those big old beta cams mm -hmm. and to compose a shot and do an interview and those sorts of things. And so after a couple of years of doing that, and by virtue of me being one of the only people who actually hung around for two or three years. A lot of turnover. A the, lot of turnover. It's just the, the nature world. of the beast in small market television, even today. Uh, but they gave me a reporter job, uh, and uh, I was just on cloud nine. So every day I was going out you know, around the area, around the panhandle in, in Amarillo, and um, doing these stories, and uh, sometimes on my own with the camera, just on my shoulder, one-man band. And so again, by virtue of doing that for a few years and not leaving and learning and growing, um, I started um, anchoring the evening newscast. Actually, the weekends is where I started anchoring. Um, and then they moved me up to uh, the evening newscast, the five o'clock newscast. Um, then in 2001, I became the news director, um, and I was still anchoring and doing a little reporting on the side and doing a little producing. And uh, yeah, so uh, by 2007 is when I left Channel 7. I'd been there for not quite 15 years, not 14 and a half years. It was such a great experience, you know, to, to be working in that environment and to be surrounded by those people who were so supportive, that was, that was really, really cool. And it was, it was a transitional time in the media, too, because you're going from recording stuff on tape to everything going digital. I mean, you were working during that entire period. Indeed, indeed. Um, I was uh, in charge of news and operations by that point when the station was going from the old analog, from the beta cam, to digital 
um, which was a painful transition for I'm sure for every TV station financially for across people, the board. I mean, everybody's got to change. You know, is government mandated? And thankfully, it was because it was so expensive and so labor intensive that stations, I'm sure, there would still be stations broadcasting in analog today had the government not said, you have to make this transition by whatever date in 2007, I think is what it was. So yeah, that was that was tough. Um, and then you throw in the fact that through throughout that process, um, the station sold, you know, uh, we were owned for many, many years by Stanley Marsh. Mm-hmm. Um, he sold us to a company called New Vision Television out of Atlanta. Um, and they came in with really, it turns out, just with the idea of flipping us and make some, making some money, which they did. They sold the station in about a year and a half to Barrington Broadcasting. Um, and the station's, of course, been sold since then to Sinclair, which all, again, is just the nature of the local television business these days nationwide. Uh, so it was, it was a tough time, man. It really, really was. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we survived and we learned and we persevered and... Um, I, I know you've been out. Um, you've out of, been out of the game in Amarillo for several years. But tell me, tell me what it's like to be. You know, I guess the role that that the news plays uh, on TV within the community, because people watch you, um, they feel that you, they know you, mm-hmm. they see you out in public, they'll say hi, whether you know them or not. I mean, mm-hmm. you become a recognizable person. You become a person they trust. I mean, what's that like? Just kind of going through your day, being somebody that they see, you know, every night on the news. Um, it's 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 really cool. I mean, it really is, especially when when you. I, I don't think there's a single person on working in TV who doesn't have that little bit of an ego, you know, that that gets that thrill out of being on camera. And being recognized, I mean, being recognized is really, really cool. And you go out in the community and somebody sees you at a restaurant and they come up and ask for your autograph. Even in Amarillo, Texas, you know, you have that sort of air of celebrity about you. Um, so you, you, you just can't really let that go to your head because in the big scope of things, it's not that big a deal. But then there is that responsibility that you have sort of as a leader, as somebody visible in the community to go out and, and try to do good things and tell not just good stories, but, um, you know, not just the stories that, that people want to hear, but the stories that people need to hear, which gets into the crux of, of journalism itself, right, especially on TV these days. So that was, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, it got to the point there toward the end of my tenure at Channel 7 when I wasn't really all that interested in being on the air anymore. I think partially because I'd been doing it for so long, and then the other reason was we were just behind the scenes so busy with everything else going on, with the, the, the station selling and with the digital transition and just the day-to-day uh, of management. It's really cool these days to, to have that level of recognition again. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, yeah, it's, people remember. It's, yeah, it's, it's really I still really, get asked if I'm related to Ben Boyette, who was like a broadcaster in the 70s. Right, way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so anybody older than about 60 is going to ask me that question still. <laughs> And, you know, even with the stuff that we post for Two for the Road every now and then, somebody locally will get on and say, oh, I remember Dusty from the news, and that was such a great time on the news. And that that does feel really good to, that people remember me or remember the news station that way. That's that's pretty cool. And that was that was 2007. You know, 10 years later now, do you think that the, the role of local TV news has changed? Has, has it lost some of that influence in the last 10 years with all the other options that people have? I, it, yeah, it has to have. Um, you know, and not being there in that trench um, for the last 10 years and, and working in local TV and facing a, a whole new set of challenges. 
um, from what I and what we used to face even 10 years ago. It's a different animal, a different business. I can't imagine going out there today as a reporter, as a journalist, and not only being required to report, but also shoot your own report, edit your own report. In the meantime, post social media updates, post website, all of that stuff. Um, that these folks mostly, you know, I call them kids, but in a market like this, it's always 20-somethings for the most part, um, trying to work their way up, up, the, up the ladder of success. And I, I can't wrap my brain around doing any of that. The, the thing that I come away from when I think about what they have to go through is that journalism has to suffer. There's no yeah. way that journalism does not suffer under that sort of arrangement because there's a lot to be said for traditional journalism, for working a beat, for working sources, to having the time to develop a story and not being forced to turn three or four stories in a day in addition to posting on social media. you got to build relationships to do that. Absolutely. You've got to know people. Um, and and there, there may be some of that still going on today. Um, I, I don't know. I doubt it because there wasn't that much of it going on 10 years ago even, because things had changed so much even back then. And I, I think in terms of just the eyeballs of people you know, who are going to be tuning in, you know, every night at five or every night at six, you know, mm -hmm. even if you used to just watch the news so Steve Kirsch could tell you, you know, what to wear tomorrow, our phones do that now. You know, you can right. use any number of apps to find out what the weather is. I, I just wonder if an entire generation is like, who, you know, who watches at six o'clock? Who are these people who need a weather guy to tell them, you know, what the, the weather's going to be? No doubt. You know, unless there's a tornado or something. Absolutely. You know? And those breaking weather and new situations. Yeah. But still, I think there is a very very real, very important place for local television, especially these days, because the, you know, the news and journalism, whatever, and information is so fractured, and you can get it from so many different places. At least you know that when you're watching one of these stations, you are by and large getting your information from trained journalists. Mm -hmm. I mean, we call them kids again, but they've been through journalism school and there are a lot of great journalism schools out there and they're doing their best in spite of all that they have to do in the course of a day. So I think that local television, local journalism, radio, TV, newspaper is still just so important to, to every community where it, it, it exists. And I don't know that that will ever change. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, what happened uh, around the time you started to feel like uh, your career as a, as a guy on the news or as a news director was, was coming to an end. Yeah. So walk me through that. Oh, my gosh. That was... Um such a crazy time in our lives, both, both Nick, Nikki and myself. And again, I, I hate that Nick's not here with me doing this because we always, well, we do everything together um, and not, not out of obligations because we, we are a unit. We are a team. Um, uh, we are, she is definitely the better half of me. And, and so it's a little weird to be talking about all this without her, but she'll be here at some point. She will. We'll get her on this we'll show. Absolutely. Show. Absolutely. But for the both of us, that period of time in our lives, we had both, you know, been working in our jobs. I've been working at channel seven for almost 15 years. She'd been working, um, for a local orthodontist for about the same amount of time. Um, and we both enjoyed what we did, without a doubt. We enjoyed the careers, and the careers treated us well. We were making pretty decent money, especially for Amarillo, Texas. But I think uh, it, was, it was a combination of things, man. It was, um, first of all, it was this love that, that we were developing for travel. You know, there is a, a very real affliction addiction out there. It's called wanderlust. Mm -hmm. And it, it is our addiction. And so back in those days, we were just starting to sort of feed the beast because we would make a point anytime we could to just go somewhere. If we had a few days off, a weekend, a week here, there, whatever, we would go somewhere. 
we just learned that whenever we got home, we just wanted to go somewhere else. That was our next focus. Okay, we'll work for a couple of weeks, we'll save whatever money, then let's go here, and then let's go here. So that was taking place, and this is over the course of a couple of years. And then you get into the, to the fact that we both sort of plateaued in what we were doing professionally. Again, we enjoyed it, but you know we didn't have the fire for it like we used to, for whatever reason. I think thirdly was, because we were making decent money, we were getting caught up in all of the trappings of a material world. I mean, we were spending the money that we're making on, on new cars, on, um, we had a big house down in Lake Tanglewood. Uh, we, had a, we had like a, a 10 person hot tub, for God's sake. It was just the two of us. You know, but we, we, we were making this money and we thought, oh, this, th this, this is how we can show that we're successful is to buy all this stuff and fill this big house full of stuff that we never used or needed. And so all of those things sort of came to a head. I, I can't actually point out a specific day. It was in that hot tub. <laughs> but it, it Feeling lead, alone, well, yeah. only two people, not, two, not Two ten. people in this gargantuan swimming pool of a hot tub, this ridiculous hot tub, and it just sank in on us. We were like, what are we doing? What are we, we're not really happy. We're not feeling fulfilled with our jobs. We're not feeling fulfilled with our lives. We're not really fulfilled with any of the stuff that we've decided to spend and surround ourselves with. What do we want? What do we want to get out of life? And that's what we said. We're gonna we're gonna travel. And we had this is really before blogging took off. Yeah. This is back in two thousand seven. It's in its infancy anyway. Even YouTube was Even just YouTube. barely... Yeah, just getting out there. Yeah. But we had heard stories from different people, different couples that had done that, that had sold everything, that had quit their jobs and just traveled. In that hot tub, we made the decision. We said, okay, tomorrow we're, we're going to start, we're going to sell the house immediately. And so we did. We put the house on the market. The house sold in about three or four months. We moved back into Amarillo. We got a rent house for about another year. This is about a 16, 18th month process. Hmm. But the nice thing is we we were devoted to the process. We were committed to doing it. So over the course of those several months, um, we sold the cars, we started selling off some of our possessions, and we started getting ready to, uh, to make this leap. And then I think really what did it for us was about a year later, it was in June, we went down to Costa Rica for our anniversary, and I took a camera. I, again, I always have a video camera with me. I always do. I, I film everything, and I always have since I've been 12 years old. And I thought, let's... Okay, so we don't know how we're going to make money once we quit our jobs, but maybe if we start making videos, travel videos, something, I don't know. Um, maybe we can make a TV show. Who knows? Let's at least film this and see what happens. And so we went to Costa Rica, and we actually filmed and put together our very first travel show, a pilot, 30-minute show of this week-long adventure in Costa Rica. Of course, it was terrible. It was terrible. We enjoyed shooting this, making this TV pilot, shooting this video. Let's see if we can make a go of this. So we came back. I think literally the day I got back from Costa Rica, I gave my notice at, at Channel 7. I said, we're out. So you guys made the leap. And it, if you don't mind, Dusty, I'd, I'd kind of like to jump forward a yeah. little bit. I mean, right now we're at a point where uh, season one of Two for the Road, you, you were able to produce a series. Um, you got it on PBS stations all across the country on Create TV. Uh, it was very well received. Now we're looking at uh, the release of season two uh, in January. Uh, and you mentioned, before we started talking, you mentioned that you uh, are, are away from home about 60% of the time. You're, you're traveling. Um, home now is Howardwick, Texas, a small town in the Panhandle. Um, and I want to talk about what it means to come home. 
because you're coming home now more than really you are you're staying here in the Panhandle. Absolutely. You know, I've I've traveled in the past, and I always like to go places that are different. You know, from Amarillo, whether it's in the mountains or in urban areas or, or something like that. And I enjoy that. I enjoy being in in places that are unfamiliar. But there's something about coming back, coming back to where it's familiar that is always kind of a surprising feeling of comfort. And I wonder if you guys still experience that when most of your time is actually traveling. Right. I mean, do you still do you still come back home and just feel like, okay, I, I can relax now or I'm, I'm back in, in a comfortable place? Absolutely. I mean, they, they, there's no place like home, right? Uh, even though it wasn't always that way. You know, back before we, we made the leap and made the transition into a, this life of travel, um, like I mentioned, when we would come home from, from a trip, we would land in Amarillo and we would immediately start scheming, thinking of ways to get back out of Amarillo and go do something else. Nothing against Amarillo or the area. We just had that bug. Um, and we still have that bug today, without a doubt. That keeps us going. But we have learned to appreciate home. Absolutely. So, again, using this last um, filming trip as a great example, being in Europe for, for two and a half or three weeks, by the end of that three weeks, we're, we're ready to get back. We're ready to lay in your own bed, um, you know, to, to sit out on your own porch and have a cup of coffee in the morning. Just those simple pleasures. And, and we, we love that we're able to do that in our little place down in Howardwick because it's, it's even, even that place is still kind of removed from the world. You know, it's, it's our own little bubble. Um, so we can kind of escape from, from everything and anything. And, and our friends and family will tell you that um, you can try to pry us out, out, of the, out of our place with a crowbar most days and it won't work because we just won't leave. Um, and that's not just because we enjoy being there. We really, really do. Um, but we're, when we're home, we're working. You know, we're, we're editing, which is the, the hard part about all of it because we have to sit in front of a computer and make sense of the three weeks of footage that we just shot. And it's, know? I mean, you're, you're condensing hours and hours yes. of footage into a 30-minute show. Absolutely. You know, the benefit to that is we get to relive the experience, which is cool, but it, it's time-consuming. There's a lot of pressure to it, especially now that the show is, is on a national stage there's a lot more pressure to deliver a quality product and yeah it's most days we'll you know we'll get up we'll start editing at 9 a.m and we'll we'll look up at 10 p.m and wonder where the day went but in terms of having a, a place that we can call home especially back here in the panhandle where um it is familiar territory it's our old stomping grounds we have family and friends close by um yeah that's that's really really nice this episode is brought to you by ROI Online, an internet marketing agency. Now, as, as a writer, I know just how challenging it can be to come up with a good story that sells. Now, imagine how hard that must be if you're a business owner or a marketing director and you also have a million other tasks to juggle. So what's so cool about ROI Online is that they are more than a marketing agency. They're more than a business consultant. They help you tell your story. They're your partner. They're your teammates. They're they're kind of like your ghostwriter, if you think about it, which is something I know a lot about. Um, the, the point is they do the heavy lifting, but you and your business get all the credit. What's even better? In addition to helping businesses succeed by shaping their marketing, they also influence your company culture. Drop by for a chat or meet them for a happy hour. You'll soon discover their culture is contagious. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook or learn more by checking them out at roionline.com. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, we're back with uh, Dusty Green. Dusty with his wife, uh, Nikki, is the host of Two for the Road, which will be on Panhandle PBS, a travel show. 
starting or second season starting in January. In January, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Dusty, this is the part of the show that uh, I call eight straight. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you uh, eight straight questions, and then I'd like you to answer those just as honestly as you feel compelled to do. I'll make something up. Okay. Or you could just make <laughs> something up, you know, if you don't like it. So here's the first one. How do you describe Amarillo to the people you encounter on your travels? Oh, gosh. Um, well, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm honest with them. I'm like, if you've never been, it's, it's mostly flat. Wind blows quite a bit. There's not many trees. There's not a whole lot of water. Um, and on the surface, it doesn't sound very appealing. Um, but we live there and we love it. And there's a reason. I mean, there's a beauty to it. Um, and the people are great. And it's, it's just a very um, easy way to live, especially compared to a lot of other places around the world. What question, uh, if, if you're talking to somebody who has heard of Amarillo, what question do you get asked about the city? Is that near Dallas? Well, you got to keep in mind they're both in Texas. So yeah, yeah. Clearly they're keeping in mind that most of the travels that we do are, are international, um, and so we're talking with Germans, we're talking with Australians, we're talking to Brits, we're talking to um, Argentines, we're talking to you know just those people from around the world who they have a concept maybe of Amarillo or of, of Texas, but that's about it. In fact, I, I recently on our last trip, uh, a guy in Ireland asked how far we lived from South Fork Ranch. Wow. And I said, it took me a minute. I was like, South, oh, you mean, you mean J.R. Ewing, Dallas? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, no, no, we're not, we're not, we're not close. <laughs> Texas is a big place. I mean, I've found that even people in the United States don't always get that. I mean, I've had people that I know, maybe in New York or something like that, they've been like, hey, I'm going to be in Austin. You should, come on, we down. should get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll be close. Like, Dude, that's, that's, that's an eight hour drive that's, for me. Do you want? Yeah. And the other thing you get, obviously, a lot is from people who do live in the States and travel some. Oh, yeah, I pass through there. Pass through there every winter going up to the mountains or pass through there driving from this place to this place. And generally that's about their extent of familiarity with Amarillo. Okay. What do you what do you miss most when you're away? Oh, that's easy. Mexican food. Me oh, yes. We, I mean, Nick and I, we we live on Mexican food. We could eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of the week and be perfectly content. And so to be away from it. For any extended period of time is hard. I mean, you talk about, you know, we're addicted to travel, but we've got to be addicted to Mexican food because after we're away from it for a little while, we start, I mean, you start getting that feeling like, okay, I, I need some tacos, man. I need something spicy. Between Mexican food, you know, when we return from a long trip, that's the first thing. We either look for a Mexican food place or a Whataburger and, and then we're set. What, what's your Mexican food place of choice? Oh, you know, it, being in Texas, living in Texas, but especially in this part of Texas, there are just so many great Mexican food places. Um, you will rarely see us walk into one of the big chains. I know a lot of people like them and that, that, that's fine, but I think you're really missing out by not going into the shadiest looking Mexican food place at the end of the strip mall. And I, when I say shady, I mean that with, with all sincerity and, and, and a good heart because that's what we look for. Because that's where you're going to find great food, generally. You're going to find really nice, appreciative people, people who actually care about you coming in, and they're happy that you came in. Um, and it's just an overall uh, groovy experience. There's a, a couple of places um, in Pampa, specifically. There's one, uh, Mejia's in Pampa, which is one of our favorites because uh, they make great tacos al pastor. That's our poison. Is tacos al pastor, but yeah, there's so many of those little just mom and pop Mexican food places around that I think go overlooked, uh, and uh, they they shouldn't be because it's really good stuff, and it's so good to it's so good to get your hands on after three weeks on the road. <laughs>
Do uh, do you have another type of restaurant in Amarillo that um, that is your favorite? I mean, you guys have eaten food, you've tried food all over the world. Is is there something uh, a place that you have to go when you guys are in town? Um, you know, um, a couple of places. I, I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to the Dusty Burger, my namesake burger, really? at, the, at the Newcastle Diner downtown. Um, which the Newcastle is a great place. Mm-hmm. I, I I went there a lot when I worked at uh, Channel Seven because it's almost literally across the street, just a, around the corner. Um, and Darlene and the gang there—they're just sweet people, and it's a classic diner. They get great breakfast. But what is the Dusty Burger? Okay, so I would go in there for lunch regularly, and they would—they had a cheeseburger, and I, I would always uh, ask the, for the cheeseburger, but could I get grilled onions on it? And she, Darlene, would kind of roll her eyes like, "Okay, whatever, whatever." Well, hey, I kept asking for it so much. She said, "I'm going to put it on the menu." Okay, so now you have the Dusty Burger on the menu, and it's you know sourdough bread, grilled onions. It's just really, really good. And last time I was in there it was a couple of months ago. She said that, and I didn't even realize this, but she she pointed out to me. She said, "Did you know that the Dusty Burger has been on this menu now for 20 years?" And wow. it is our top-selling burger. I said, that is amazing. That is awesome. That is just too cool. Said, You're welcome, darling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I need a royalty from every burger that you've <laughs> ever sold. We'll talk about that. Um, and then in terms of Mexican food, I love um, La Frontera over on Arthur Street. I get the three burrito dinner with with cheese, and I could I could swim in that hot sauce that they make. Um, that's that is another one of my poisons. I just can't I can't eat there so much because you know you get older and. And you just can't eat like you used yeah. to eat, right? So you have to you have to temper that. But uh, yeah, good stuff. What does Amarillo have too much of? I would have to say traffic. Um, and this is coming from, to be fair, this is coming from a guy, and Nick's the same way, from two people who just can't stomach traffic. That's one of the reasons that we're so glad to be out of the Austin area because we we, we have very little tolerance for it. But even at that, coming to Amarillo, it just seems like, and I don't know if it's if it's accurate or not, it just seems like there's too much traffic here for a town our size. And I know the town is growing, and, and um, there's a lot of construction going on and, and what have you. But driving around Amarillo is just an aggravating experience for me. And I don't, I can't put my finger on it exactly, but that's... Well, tell me if you've had this experience. You know, there have been times, whether I'm spending a few days in New York City or I'm... Uh, in Italy or something like that, you know, we will think nothing of walking for 20 minutes to go to a coffee shop. Right. It might be a mile away, right. walking back. We're just like, hey, this is fun. We're walking around New York. But the idea of leaving my house and walking, you know, to roasters or something, Anywhere, right. that's madness. I mean, and it's it's a half mile away or maybe a mile. And that's so it's true. A change in mindset. That's, uh, that is so absolutely true. And you, and you look at the traffic in places like that, and it's, you know, it's terrible, but Maybe because you're not driving around in it so much. I don't know what it is. It just, it just seems that way to me. What What does Amarillo not have enough of? Not have enough of. Um, you know, I, I, I listened to um, your podcast a, a few weeks ago with uh, Wes Reeves, and he talked a lot about the Golden Light, and I'm right there with Wes. I love the Golden Golden Light. I love places like that. Um, the little traditional hole in the wall, casual. Uh, no BS kind of places. You can walk in, get a burger and a beer, listen to some music, and sit out on the patio. Uh, I, I think maybe that's it. I, I, I wish that there were more places in Amarillo that, that would have a patio where you could enjoy the outdoors a little bit. And of course, the argument there immediately is, well, it's too windy, or it's too hot in the summer, or it's too cold in the winter. I don't buy that because we've traveled literally coast to coast around this country. I don't know how many times to cities large and small in all times of year. And you see those places and it just doesn't seem to be 
that, that kind of places uh, in, in Amarillo. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Or maybe we're just too afraid of the weather or too trying maybe. to escape the weather. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. But I, I know there's a lot of developments, new things happening downtown too, um, and, and maybe there's going to be some of that incorporated. So I, just, I would love to see more of that kind of place. All right. You, uh, you grew up in Texas. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? Got them on he's right showing now, me buddy. his boots, and he's wearing the boots right now. Got them on right now, buddy. Yeah, I. Um, now, I, did you wear them just for the show? I promise. Or, okay. I, I promise I did not. Um, my my routine, and it is pretty simple. With what I what I wear during the day and, and times of year. In the summertime, it's shorts and flip flops. In the wintertime, when it gets colder, it's boots and jeans. Um, and that it really is pretty pretty much that simple. And I I've got a lot of my, these things are finally broken. They're probably about ten years old. And do you travel with them? Uh, very rarely, just because they're so bulky. You know, we have to carry so much stuff with us and be mindful of how heavy our bags are and that sort of thing. So, okay, so you and you and Nikki have seen a lot of the world's most beautiful places, mm-hmm. probably more than almost anybody. <laughs> um, when you return home here, what is the most beautiful part about this area? You know, it's that's an interesting question because it's one of those things that we never really saw or appreciated while we were living in Amarillo. It took us getting out of the panhandle and coming back to really sort of open our eyes to how beautiful this part of the world is. And I know a lot of people who who don't feel that way or just or think I'm exaggerating, my snicker at the idea of this being a beautiful place. But it really is. And it's so beautifully unique in so many ways compared to a lot of places around the world. The landscape, you know, yeah, it is mostly flat, but even in the flat parts, there's just this dramatic, epic beauty because you have this unbelievable sky above you at all times of day. Um, in the summertime, you have those thunderstorms, those thunder boomers that come through and just rocket into the sky with the, the, the lightning and the thunder and all of the energy that goes with it. But, uh, you know, again, one of our favorite things to do when we're in our favorite experiences, we'll come home from um, a couple of weeks out on the road, we'll sit on our patio and we'll watch the sunset. And um, every night we'll do that, that we can. Because the sunsets here, they really are just so beautiful. And then once the sun goes down, and I think this is another overlooked thing or underlooked, as, as, as the case would be, thing about this part of the world is on most any clear night, which is most nights in this part of the world, you can look up and see a spectacular amount of stars. If you, and you don't have to travel far to get away from light mm-hmm. around here. Um, but especially down where we live, where there's not a whole lot of light, we look up every night and just see the Milky Way spilling everywhere. And we really learn to appreciate that by traveling so much because that is a rare phenomenon in a lot of places in the world, especially in and around big cities. Mm-hmm. And the big cities are getting bigger and they're growing and, they're, and, and it's getting worse. And there are a lot of people we've talked to who just, you know, they look up and they're like, what, what, what is that? Like, that's the Milky Way. That's, we see that every night. Um, so we don't take those kinds of things uh, for granted anymore. And I don't think anybody who lives in this part of the world should. It's, it's, uh, there's, there's a great beauty to this part of the world, and uh, we're, we're so happy to be here to see it every day when we're home. When you're home. Yeah. And uh, I like to end every episode by just asking my guests to endorse something related to Amarillo or the Amarillo area. So okay. whatever that might be, what do you want people who are listening to know about? You know, I would have to say um, and give my wholehearted endorsement to um, our friends at Panhandle PBS. We've been 
living and working in the pan, in the PBS universe now for about a year and a half, two years. And a lot of people ask us, well, when are you going to get on a real channel? When are you going to go to the travel channel? Which grates on us a little bit because we are really, really proud to be a part of PBS and more and more so every day because it, it's, it's just pure community-driven television. It's not advertiser-driven. It is what it is. And by and large, it is driven by people who care. Uh, and I can definitely say that about the people at Panhandle PBS. I mean, they care about this community, and they are under a lot of pressure, especially financial pressure, mm -hmm. to be able to produce anything locally, but especially anything of any quality. Even in the face of that, they still they, they, they do great work. They do great quality work for this community. Um, and I think it goes overlooked uh, more than it should. So, And every um, few years, there are threats to funding being pulled. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, from Absolutely, political and I think that would be that would be a tragedy if that happened. Not just saying that because oh, that would affect us in our show, but again, working in the PBS universe, you know, we as a show, we don't have any plans to go anywhere else. We are so happy being on PBS because we can tell the story the way we want to tell it. We have that freedom and that flexibility, but because we feel like we are part of something larger than us. Which is which is nice. So yeah, I mean, uh, support Panhandle PBS, please. Um, give them a look, uh, a second look, because I know a lot of people may not have paid a lot of attention to what they're doing, but they're doing great work. Dusty Green, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, cheers, man! Thanks so much. This this was awesome. I really appreciate it. And that concludes another episode of Hey Amarillo. So number one, I want to say thanks to you for listening. Number two, I want to say thanks to Dusty uh, for sitting in on the interview. You can find more about Two for the Road at twofortheroad.com. Uh, check them out on Facebook. Check Panhandle PBS listings because season two will start airing at some point in January. You can also anticipate within the next few weeks or months an interview with his wife, Nikki, uh, to talk about the show, to talk about their filming process, everything else. Uh, I want to say thanks again to ROI Online for sponsoring the show. And again, thank you for listening to this show. Thanks for reviewing it, for telling friends. Um, I really do appreciate it. And I'm excited for the upcoming year for the guests that we've got lined up and uh, for a lot more opportunities to talk about Amarillo people and Amarillo stories. I'm Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.